0: So Humana Data Exchange is really what we're hoping to accomplish to be the single place for API consumers to discover and subscribe to all of Humana's APIs.
1: All right, (laughs) so um, could you please tell us your name and title at Humana?
0: Sure. My name is Suzanne Montour, and I'm a lead product manager in interoperability.
1: Okay. And what, uh, what is, let's just rip the Band-Aid off. You know, we hear a lot about this word interoperability, and I'm going to read to the audience the definition of interoperability as provided to me by uh, one of our colleagues, Patrick Murta. So this is, this is his definition of interoperability. Interoperability is the ability of different information systems, devices, and applications to access, exchange, integrate, and cooperatively use data in a coordinated manner across organizational boundaries. This ability is predicated on and enabled by industry adopted standards. How's that sound?
0: sound sounds about right. Um, yeah, and. I, what I like to think of interoperability is that it allows you to do this form of data exchange with with minimal restrictions, right? Which is was pretty cool about what the interoperability team is doing with fire and other forms of data exchange. It just makes it easier for systems to communicate to each other. But yeah, I mean, Mr. Patrick is is <laughs> he is uh, our oracle of of interoperability and fire knowledge, so Definitely trust his definition.
1: So let me <laughs> let me unpack a couple of terms that may not be as uh, known to to folks. So when we're talking about interoperability, and that's that's kind of a, a word that's surfaced in the last couple of years, w- what does that really mean from a humana or a well-being perspective? Like, what's the overarching theme of interoperability? What's it do for us?
0: I think one of the coolest way, and just because I'm a visual person and, and understanding the way that interoperability works, um, just a real-life example. So let's say um, you are at urgent care with a, let's say, a sinus infection, something that's not obviously life-threatening. Um, it's very costly to go to urgent care. And say you're sitting in the urgent care waiting room and then all of a sudden you hear, you get a call from your provider to say, hey, um, I, I see you're checked in with um, in the urgent care nearby. With a sinus infection, I've got an opening at three. Um, can I come see you then? Urgent care is expensive and I'd love to help you out. Interoperability can enable that kind of use case, which is really cool. Um, that's something that I'm excited for us to get to that point one day. It's obviously going to be a, be a while. <laughs> Not, I mean in terms, it's not going to be next year or even tomorrow. Like, uh, it's this is just the capability that interoperability can do. If if all of our providers modernize their systems, um, we're leveraging APIs. This is something that we could do. We could literally help um, people not only save um, healthcare costs, uh, but also help save lives with this ability to exchange information seamlessly between systems. So that that's one. That's one example. I really, I was like, wow, that's definitely interoperability in the coolest way possible for for healthcare.
1: And and that's relatively new. This exchange of data between, like, what what are all the parties that could be exchanging data? Is it just health systems together, or or what what's the purview of that?
0: You could you could um, it really is across the spectrum. So you know, you think of like Apple Health, and let's say if you want to, it just depends. Like if you as a consumer, you as a member. You are primarily using Apple systems, and you use Apple Health to track your health holistically. Um, what is great about interoperability is if they want to share their healthcare information, their claims, their lab data, their providers, medication list, they're able to do so with just a the touch of a button. Um, so that's what's really cool about of that on the member side. But it can happen anywhere. Like think about for sales. Um, we have a lot of great uh, sales partners and brokers across, um, across like the, you know, whether it's group or whether it's um, retail individual. So we, that also kind of helps us get the information to our partners as soon as possible and in a way that anyone can understand without limitations and there's no, um, I mean, that's best case scenario that you're able to seamlessly get that information without having to call anyone, without having to alter too much of your system or, their, or our systems. Um, so it, it could be anywhere from chemia and, and provider. So if we need to understand, if the provider needs to understand something about a patient, like what medications they've been on previously, because I don't know, it's that's obviously a big partner or issue with a lot of our Medicare members is just not remembering all the medications they're on. That's actually a huge problem. So that's something that we can help um, even with our members care just by seamlessly, seamlessly sharing that information to the provider. So before a patient comes in, you know, maybe it's a new patient, they see the list or like, I see you're on all of these medications. Um, so I'll, they'll be able to know, yeah, I can prescribe you this medication or not, or, you know, talk about your medication management plans. So really across, across the spectrum, even with um, other payers, so let's say, you know, we, we just want to be transparent. Like, there's transparency is a big, big thing for healthcare, and that seems to be evolving into that um, trajectory of just being really transparent. So, like, if we wanted to share um, our member information with another payer so that they, no matter where they are, they're getting the best care possible for them, um, and vice versa. So, if we need to get information from another payer, uh, so it's just really Just sharing information as real time as possible to make healthcare easier and better for all of us and and all of our members.
1: So, what's precipitating it? You know, it seems that it's gained momentum in the last you know couple of years. Why? Why all of a sudden has the technology not been there, or is it something else that's driving it?
0: I think that a lot of the technology is now becoming more heavily adopted. Like our us as consumers, we're changing. We're changing in the fact that we're so um, reliant on our cell phones and we're so used to this real time information concept and everyone is privy to that. So, you know, Senate Medicaid Services is very much involved in interoperability and has given us a ton of, of rules and standards that we need to abide by. To enable that transparency and to meet that consumer need, so I think it's all around us as consumers and technology advancing, and us not being able to really be without it. Um, and we're becoming more impatient, <laughs> which is which is you know that's part of part of the game. That's part of what technology is supposed to help us do is get things done faster and get things to us faster.
1: One of the things that you said made me think about the last time I was in uh, the doctor's office and you said, you know, how nice would it be if they're able to to access, you know, these are the medications you're on and whatnot, especially as a caregiver when my parents were very ill before they passed away, mm-hmm. having to try to understand, like, I don't know all the medications you're on and whatnot. But one okay. of the things that I keep thinking about that I hope interoperability um, solves is this fact that I still had to fill out friggin' forms uh mm-hmm. so so hopefully one day they'll get the memo that like hey the data's there just hit the button and print it out yeah
0: oh yeah I, the provider I mean everyone else in the healthcare system they seem to be catching up but the providers are kind of the laggards in that regard so mm-hmm. but I don't think they're going to have a choice much you know more in the in the future as other providers start to evolve and People may start to look at that kind of stuff when they're considering their healthcare care provider. Um,
1: so you mentioned a couple of uh, different terms that I want to unpack here. So first and foremost, uh, you said API. Could you explain to us what an API is?
0: Sure. It stands for Application Programming Interface, and it's basically a method of data exchange. So instead of like what we had before, um, with just file transfers, APIs allows systemically for um, our information to transfer over to another application. So um, we would use like, for example, if uh, your claims information and Apple Health wants access to your claims information, we could build an API that just think of it as kind of like a bridge. Where the data goes from, they're asking they're, requ- they're calling us and they're saying, "Hey, I want Chuck's claims information." We say, "Here you, Apple Health," and send it on its way back over to that bridge, and they get that information. So it's kind of like a telephonic call in a way, too.
1: <laughs> so it's basically connecting two uh, two different entities right. who maybe needs something or, or or vice versa, um, mm-hmm. and so. Um, let me see. I want to ask this next question. So, so I know that there are APIs, and and some you know some folks understand APIs because they've they've done the Apple Health, they've done the Fitbits, they've done all of the wearables and how mm-hmm. they connect to all that. So, um, how how groundbreaking is it that Humana is is actually you know allowing um, outside companies, even competitors, I, I might say. Uh, to access our data, how how do we go about making sure that we want to do that or making sure that you know what what we're giving out is is the right thing?
0: Yeah, so I mean, a lot of it is dictated by CMS and what they seem fit um, specifically in formatting our API. So for example, with the uh, fire, on um, the fast healthcare interoperability resource. It's just to think of it as like a mapping of your data. Um, so CMS dictates a lot of that for us. <laughs> so we we kind of have it, um, you know, pretty much said to us, but I think that's a standard that we're trying to champion in Humana. And um, we've received a lot of recognition and accolades from partners and even HL7 themselves of how Humana is a leader in this space. So it's pretty cool. We're like one of the early adopters of fire and interoperability as a whole um, compared to other payers. So that's something that I think we're pretty um, adamant in keeping that, that leadership status. We want to be number one, you know, we're competitive and, um, you know, a company who's investing a lot in technology. So that's important to us to stay in that, in that spot. So um, it's, it's something that's, really been awesome for us. And, you know, thanks to a lot of our partners like Patrick Murda and a lot of folks in the XC, a lot of people who are um, our partners who are boots on the ground and in, in DC and speaking with CMS and our, and other um, healthcare partners to kind of rally around and come up with the way for us to figure out how we can make our members lives easier through APIs and through information transfer. So that's, it's pretty cool that to be a part of that and, and know that Humane is a leader in that space.
1: We appreciate you giving us a one hundred and one of uh, interop and uh, APIs and Fire and Fire spelled F H I R for for mm-hmm. all those paying attention at home. Uh, so now let's get into the crux of why we really were going to talk today. So you you mentioned that you were lead product manager over in enterprise architecture specifically related to interoperability, which uh, Mm -hmm. I personally know, uh, you know, involves platforms and data and all these other things. So what is your team explicitly responsible for?
0: Sure. Um, The main product that my team runs is called the Humana Data Exchange. So the Humana Data Exchange will essentially replace um, our current developer portals, so developer.humana.com, those are a lot of the APIs that live within our Apigee API platform. Um, so what Humana Data Exchange is it has done already, we have um, eight APIs in production and they're all fire APIs. Um, that was specifically CMS mandated. We had to have those APIs out in a production environment with OAuth 2.0 security. So we needed to build a platform that would better support that. So Humana Data Exchange is really what we're hoping to accomplish to be the single place for API consumers to discover and subscribe to all of Humana's APIs. Obviously, we're not going to get there overnight. It's going to be an evolution. Um, We started with fire first, and then we're looking into other external APIs like our sales and onboarding enrollment APIs um, as the next big wave of what we're integrating in. But just think of it as as a place where you can... Uh, my vision is where you can have one place to just look through the entire API catalog of Humana, understand what it does, be able to test it, and then subscribe to it um, with as little of a headache as possible. <laughs> uh, our API subscription process can be pretty pretty long and taxing. So we're trying to work with procurement and various partners to figure out what are ways that we can make it easier for people to subscribe to our APIs.
1: And is that just internal subscription at this point, or are we looking to do anything externally?
0: So right now, Humanae Data Exchange is, is mostly focused on external, and that was due to the CMS mandate. They wanted us to have something externally accessible um, by the end of year, so we were able to meet that um, a little bit ahead of time. So in November, we were able to launch that. Um, so right now it's purely focused um, on external it doesn't mean internal folks can't register. But since we have kind of very unique processes within the way that we subscribe to our each other's APIs internally Humana, it's actually more complex and convoluted than uh, <laughs> external. So we've got a lot of research to do and a lot of um, folks to work with to figure out how we can make it easier. But eventually it will be internal as well. That's our, that's our plan by end of year.
1: Do you know how many uh, people are subscribing or companies are subscribing to the APIs that we have out there?
0: So for uh, like across the board of all of our APIs, geez, that's a tough one. I mean, I'd say I'd say a couple hundred. Um, I know for sales, we have about 20. It's, so I don't have like across all of our API platforms because we have three, we have Apogee, API Connect and now Mule Soft. Um So I think we only really have a couple hundred um, and that would probably include also our HIT APIs or hooking with uh, providers. Um, but we are hoping to grow that substantially. Most of our API interactions are internal
1: and so how, how do we go about letting the Apple Healths and all of these folks that may want our data to know that we have said marketplace and are working on, on making it more robust?
0: So we have a plan this year, and we're looking at um, certain events that we can attend to get the word out. Um, we've participated in a few, our, our partners in the XC have participated in a few, like hackathons, codeathons. Um, specifically uh, as they relate to HL7 and Fire, So um, that's, that's one way we hope to get the word out. Um, also partnering with marketing and communications teams on how we can get some, you know, blog posts from, from Bruce and, and also just looking in our industry publications, that might be a good opportunity and just um, with procurement. So we're hoping that as procurement are meeting with partners, like can they start talking about like, oh, we have this product, um, Humana Data Exchange. You can take a look at one of our APIs and that can also help alleviate maybe some of the manual processes that procurement has to deal with. A lot of, um, you know, emails back and forth, they can say, oh, you can self-serve and look at Humana Data Exchange and see if we have the data you may need before you even go through this procurement process
1: interesting so I'm, I'm out here on the site developers com first and foremost mm-hmm. really nice clean look and feel so uh, you definitely are showing up very well out there uh, so you're you're telling me this is is live for external like like people anybody right. that has that URL can come and t- take take a look at this
0: yep okay. yep um, soon that uh, it will be living off of humana com so probably in April Um, we have to get those APIs that are on developer.humana.com so the legacy um, API portal over into our portal Mm -hmm. and do our due diligence and communicate with the folks who are registered to let them know Uh, but yeah our plan is to uh, redirect any existing developer portal um, whether it be off Apigee or API Connect to the Humana data exchange um, in April That's a target though.
1: Well, yeah, we know how those, Mm -hmm. how those all kind of come, come about. So Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll we'll hold our breath, but not very long. Yeah. Uh, and that's not a, that's not a knock on our company. Uh, (laughs) so let me ask you this. So clearly this is something that health companies are now starting to, to delve into, uh, dip their toe in you, you made mention that we're one of the leaders Uh, i mean how many competitors Mm -hmm. are going down this this road right now and and are we truly ahead of everyone or is it kind of neck and neck at this point
0: um well everyone is is pretty much on that same mission as as us to get these fire apis out in the public i mean that's a cms mandate no other payer can get around that but what's I think what's unique to Humana and um, the interoperability team and Patrick Murda's team Rapid Fire is that even before the rules are written, they're they're creating proof of concepts and knocking around ideas. So I think that what is what makes Humana different and a leader in this space is that we aren't just reacting to what CMS wants. We're giving them suggestions. We're coming up with proof of concepts, and they. They love it. They love that Humana is coming to the table and being really proactive in, in new ways to exchange data. So um, I think that's something that is, is a good differentiator of how we're, we're interacting um, just by the, re- the relationships and our ideas. So we, we're not sitting and waiting. We're being proactive.
1: And so tell me, uh, you know, I noticed that you all had some case studies out here. Tell me a little bit about uh, Signify. I mean, what what's that case study about? And is this a, been a su- successful partnership?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, and I, I I get sound and Signify mixed up sometimes, so I'll have to <laughs> trigger my memory here. It's been a while since we've talked about that. So with Signify, um, it's we, we partner with it. Signify a provider network. So it's one of Humana's, um, partner networks. And one of the main thing that, um, Signify does is, um, it, it comes to Humana and we, they would like, like the, our, our members one medication list. So I don't know if you've heard of OML or, or folks who work on that. Um, so what, our uh, med profile API does is it allows signify providers to get, um, an understanding of like the, the a members, most current medications. So kind of that use case that we were talking about earlier with you as a caregiver, um, this allows signify health clinicians to get the medication information in real time. So it's, it's great. It's, um, especially for those who are under a pretty hefty medication regimen.
1: So in so let me see if I understand this so I could be at a Signify Health provider clinic or doctor mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. because they're tapped into uh, the Humana data exchange via that API is there like a mm-hmm. button that they can just hit and then that one medication list comes is that how it works because it's already built or they have to, is it like a it it goes out and does its thing each time like, how does that kind of work?
0: I think it would have to be, like, um, a case-by-case basis. So the Signify Health would have to um, call and request a uh, medication list for for you. And then, you know, they may get it back on their tablet or whatever mechanism they're using. I'm not sure what their application looks like on their side. But um, it is just kind of a one-to-one. Like, they, they trigger a call and then they get a response back based okay. on that member.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let me go and look through here. So, let me think. Okay, so, how new is the Humana Data Exchange? I know it was known as the API marketplace previously, and we've just had some news that, um... Something had been completed. What what is that? The actual exchange itself being externally facing, or there was some big news around that? Could you tell us a little bit about it?
0: Yeah. So um, the Media Data exchange, yeah, that is the official name. It was API Marketplace as an in internally known because we didn't want it to be confused with the current developer portal. <laughs> a lot of names. A lot of. We went through um, a couple months with the brand team. A name team to kind of come up with that name and come up with some concepts. So um, that uh, is was is now the name, the Humanity Data Exchange, and we launched in November. Um, first, like we did a soft launch with just internal Humana employees, and we just asked a couple teams to kind of just test it out. And then in December, we had um, an external launch uh, for just you know, kind of getting our basics out there of allowing users to um, view the API catalog, test sandbox APIs, register, and log in. So that was the first wave. And the second wave, we allowed, um, we're trying to make it easier for our consumers to subscribe to our Fire APIs. And due to the CMS mandate, they have made it pretty clear that Humana can't really stand in the way of a member trying to share their data with an application or a company. It's their data, they deal with it it what they want. So um, we had to kind of alter our process for how we get, or we allow external partners to consume our APIs. They can't go through a six month procurement process. That just isn't gonna cut the mustard. Sorry, I didn't mean to use my mom's terms there. (laughs) But so I, what we have done or we, we partnered with the XC and legal and privacy and security. And we came up with a way of like, okay, let's just let's validate the company exists. So we use a combination of a Google API and then also a Dun & Bradstreet database, which is like any company uh, almost in the world has to be part of this database. Then you have a unique identifier. So that gives you some kind of legitimacy of the company. And then we asked, Um, the developer of like a series of application questions just to make sure that they, like what security protocol they have. And it's pretty standard stuff, like what they're using. Do you you sell uh, your your user's data? If you change your policy, are you going to inform the user? Things like that. Um, And so once the user goes through it, and we call this application vetting. We're just trying to vet the application, vet the company, vet the human to make sure that there is um, no significant risk to human systems. So as soon as the user does that, then we allow the API producers in the XC to either approve or deny an application based on the information they submitted. Deny is going to be really rare because again, CMS is like you can't get in the way. <laughs> you can't get in the way of allowing a member or to share their information if they want their data. So. Um, We enabled that full process. So by the end of the year, we had our full MVP. Um, We started uh, the implementation in late March, early April. And so we were able to deliver against an MVP that included the Fire API catalog. Um, Those are specific eight APIs that CMS has mandated. we have, public documentation. So all the documentation for a sample request and sample response. Um, is there without the user having to log in or create an account. And they can also test uh, sandbox versions of those APIs. Because, you know, we, we, none of us like to create an account for anything. None of us need another account, another username and password, especially if it's not going to be worth your time. So this kind of allows users to try before they buy. Um, so we enable the users to test sandbox versions of the API. Then they can create an account and then they go through that, once they create that account, they can go through that application vetting process to then get into the next step of subscribing to those APIs. Um, so a lot of work that the team has done in, uh, in a short amount of time. So.
1: And it might be too early, but I was going to ask, have we gotten any feedback from, from external parties that have, have utilized the HDX? Um,
0: yeah, I, they love it. Well, I actually heard one from one partner, uh, Bowie Health, that said, oh, this is the prettiest developer portal I've ever seen. So, I mean, at least it's pretty, right? Um, <laughs> we, and we've, got, we've gotten some things, like we, we're using a brand new registration service, and you know, it's, some things are a little buggy here and there, which is to be expected. Um, so, we've, we've gotten some pretty good feedback based on, we have about um, five companies in there right now, just kind of knocking around. Um, and then we've asked some of our partners um, outside of the company to just take a look and give us some feedback. So we have been using that and getting some some good ideas for what we want to do in the future. Uh, but so far, the, the feedback's been very good.
1: And speaking of the future, I mean, what does success look like for 2021? Like, is there a set number of APIs that you all want to have? Like, what, what, what are kind mm-hmm. of your, your high level goals uh, for 2021?
0: So the number one is probably definitely to sunset the legacy developer portal and have one developer portal so we don't have to toggle between Apigee and API Connect for API consumers. API producers, different story. They can use whatever they want to create their APIs. But for API consumers, we want to have one place for all human APIs, internal and external. So that's number one for me. And then number two is coming up with a way, so like I mentioned a little bit before, that the term consumer-mediated, meaning that the member has control of the data they share. There are also use cases we have in our, in our industry where it's going to be more business-to-business. Business. The member isn't really consenting to share their data. It's a total business transaction, and it's legal and justified to do so. That definitely requires procurement and a little bit more process to subscribe to an API. So my goal is to at least have some, at least one business to business use case implemented and a procurement process that we can help automate to make it easier. So um, we're, we're looking and and partnering with retail partners and uh, various, you know, sales folks across the company and just trying to get feedback from them. Like, Hey, what, what is your vendors? Like, what's your headaches with them? Like what, like, what information would they expect to give us? And, you know, how, how, from a support perspective, how are we doing? How can we do better? How can we be better? Um, you know, if they, they want to know, like, if they get a 500 error on the API, how do they want to be informed? Do you want a text? Do you want an email? So everything from, like, the point where they sign up to the point they're getting, like, support from us. So we're trying to really understand and dig into that. So my goal is, like, we're still in discovery mode, but my goal is to have some kind of better understanding of the business-to-business side of the house. And if we can automate that to make it easier for not only our procurement partners, but our, our partners, our external partners, it would be amazing. So that's my, my goal.
1: Do you have any uh, leaders above you saying you, you need to have, like, 5,000 APIs by a certain time? Or is there Mm-mm. is there a goal for any kind of number? Is it just more as, as it presents itself? No.
0: Not, and I think, like, we're actually trying to trim the number of APIs that we have. <laughs> so if we look into all of Humana's APIs, we have almost more than 500, and some are being used more than others. Some are redundant. So I think we we have an opportunity to, to pare that down. It's more about quality than than quantity when it comes to the APIs. So um, you know we're we're partnering with API producers as well, figuring out hey, is, is your is your data DGO certified? So we're not just going to have any you know old API that was built several years ago and just plop it in the portal without any kind of investigation. We want to make sure that um, that the data is quality. That the API itself is quality and then it has a, a clear owner. And you know, like if, if a user needs support, we need to know who, who to talk to and make sure they get what they need. Because my team isn't going to know anything about those API's. We didn't build them. So we're, it's kind of like herding cats. You know, you got oh, APIs everywhere. Um, but our one of our main OK, OKRs is to just onboard more partners. So we have five um, external partners, uh, a goal an OKR of onboarding five provider partners. So um, a big initiative, obviously, is that Humana or payer-to-payer exchange and, and um, payer-to-provider exchanges. So um, as we think about the whole process of how we're going to allow providers, like new or existing providers um, subscribing to our APIs, how are we going to make that easier for them? So that's, that's the one OKR I can think of that's specifically um, to me as of what I'm trying to go for is like getting adoption, adoption, getting feedback and understanding what our, our partners need. So cool. that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Cool.
1: Well, thank you, Suzy Montour. Uh, Suzanne, I'm sorry. Do you go by Suzanne now? No,
0: it's, it's Suzy. I just, you know, I... I should change my name in the system. I go by Susie.
1: (laughs) Do you really want to? I mean, because the the amount of headache it will take to just change your name is probably. I
0: know that I don't really want to because of that. So I just, people just know, like after you work with me like once, you're like, you're Susie. But, you know, some people still call me Suzanne. It's fine. I respond to both. Just not Susan
1: or or Sue. Or Suze.
0: Suze is okay.
1: But not 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 with the original (laughs) Suze, That's the problem She gets all (laughs) uptight about that But that's a different story
0: It's true (laughs) Well thank
1: you for joining our show today That's going to be Suzanne Slash Susie Montour Who is a lead product manager In interoperability Thank you so much for being on the show, Susie
0: Sure, thanks for having me